Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. This is Paul Arnold hosting tonight with Ernest Watts. Ernest has been a friend for a long time, and Ernest, it's been a long time since it was just the two of us on Pardon the Confusion. What did we do? Did we forget to shower or not use deodorant? What happened? I didn't know if you were going to do the Will Smith song or the Grover Washington Jr. song. No, just the two of us. I, just the I think two I, we've of us. grown popularity. People enjoyed what we do so much they wanted a piece of the pie. There it is. Oh, I see. Actually, our other co-hosts are busy having summer fun, and we're old guys. When it starts getting 8 o'clock, we're inside. We're okay. We're about ready to have another podcast. But sports goes on, even though ESPYs was held this week. Just curiosity, did you watch any of the ESPYs, Ernest? No, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, Tracy Morgan has not been that good since his Walmart accident. Ooh, uh, wow. I mean, no, I just, it's, I don't, except for the Oscars, I don't watch the Emmys, I don't watch the Tonys. I mean, a lot of it is self-congratulatory. I, I just don't enjoy it. Yeah. Not I, when there's, not when there's real sports like Canadian football out there, summer league basketball. There you go. I haven't seen the SB since Will Farrow hosted it, so that tells you it's been a while. So, you know, it's been busy. NBA's becoming the new media monster. Like, the NFL has been so good about capturing the attention all year round. And now the NBA is, you know, it's like the soap opera of all sports with the latest uh, trade uh, of Russell Westbrook from Oklahoma to Houston for Chris Paul. Did that shock you, Ernest? I think the shock was 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 again the the rumors were going around uh, a little different in that respect. Let me tell you about something real fast, like before we get into the meat of the territory. Oh, appetizer! Do you, yeah, do you know uh, sixteen of the twenty eight All Stars of the NBA All Star Game, which was in February, will be wearing different uniforms when the season starts? Sixteen of the twenty eight. Has never before, I think, GMs have been more willing. And maybe it's the way the new contracts are set up, too, right? I think it's the players. I think the players want to. They think the only way. I I think it's different rationale for each one because Kawhi wanted to come to Southern California. And the fact that the Paul George thing was really a shock because we thought he was happy after being traded from Indiana to Oklahoma City. We thought he was happy there. And we knew when you remove Paul George from Oklahoma City, you know, they were rebuilding. Westbrook is on the other side of 30. You knew Westbrook wanted to leave. And, and, and the point that he wanted to determine, and the real shock was everyone heard he was going to Miami. And Detroit, Detroit went after him real hard. And I thought that would have been the best matchup for him, mm-hmm. would have been Detroit. I thought that was a team that – could have been the second best team in the East, or at least the third best team in the wow. East. Mm. But the idea of putting two former MVPs in the backcourt together at Houston, because all we heard from Houston was they were going to get under the salary cap, they were going to trade Capella, they were going to trade PJ Tucker, they were going to get rid of some of their fringe players and, and try to get under the cap and try and save some money. But it, it you know. Chris Paul must be hard to live with. <laughs> Blake Griffin couldn't get along with him. Harden couldn't get along with mm-hmm. him. And the story is that, that he's he will not start the season in Oklahoma City. I mean, and I, I just can't – the big rumor has been Miami. And, Paul, I just can't see him in Miami. I know Pat Let's Riley – down the roll for a second. What you're okay, saying okay. Is, is that the Oklahoma Thunder is going to move him or trade him before the season starts. And because they have so many – first-round draft picks, at least 10 or so, they're going to unload his big contract, send a few first-round draft picks to another team who needs Chris Paul more than they do. Is that what you're saying? Chris Paul's wor- that, Chris Paul is – he has a contract in excess of $100 million, and he is 35 years old as a point guard. Crazy. And, and again, these backloaded contracts that they sign, and that's pretty much you got to go back to the Clippers because they're the ones who signed them that type of contract. Even Bobby Bonilla says that's a good contract. Oh, yeah. yeah. By the way, Bobby Bonilla Day was back June 15th. That's when he got his uh, $500,000 that he gets every year to the year 2056. This is no joke, folks. Google it. He gets paid one day every year by the Mets. But 
you know, and, and Miami's supposed to be the destination, but I know Pat Riley's 84 years old, and he wants to make Miami relevant again. Didn't we used but, to call him Skeletor because yeah, he, his he, face was caving in even in his 60s, and uh, he looked like the guy from the He-Man universe? He And that was 30 years ago. <laughs> but I just can't see... First of all, I don't know what assets Miami doesn't have that many picks left. And if they trade away, let's say by chance they get rid of uh, Bama Rayo, who uh, played pretty good at center from Kentucky. He's a second year guy. And if they get rid of their young kids, uh, Miami's just, it's, it's going to be a disaster. And, and again, I think the value of draft picks are overrated. What, what good has Boston done? And all the draft picks they've accrued. I think the real value in the NBA, if you're a GM, is you want young players, which undervalued contracts, which are the rookie contracts they sign, and you have control from four to five years. If you pick up the rookie option, you have control of that contract for five years. NFL's been doing this for years. That's why they value young players mm -hmm. because it's lower cost. It gives you cap flexibility. So what grade and would you give this trade for Houston that they got Westbrook and got rid of Chris Paul? Would you give them an A for this? C. Really? Yeah, unless if, if Westbrook can show some maturity and not be ball dominant because I just can't see Harden not giving up the ball. Yeah. If he's willing to not to play <laughs> off the ball and catch passes, yeah. that's a lot of ifs there, then, yeah, they can be a top three team. But, Paul, are they as good as the Lakers right now? Yeah, what's more likely, that Harden will give up the ball or shave his beard? Um, it's, it's pretty tough. I think there's one scenario where this works out for Houston where both Westbrook and Harden say, listen, we can't play the whole season and wear ourselves out. So let's plan that we sort of take uh, a fourth of the season off and the other guy gets to carry the team during the time. And then in the playoffs, let's see where we're going to go. But I think, uh, I hate to say it, Colin Collarherd actually had a good point. All right, I know, folks, I really said that. He said, why would these guys change what has got them to this point? They're getting paid millions and millions and millions. They're probably worth at least $300 million each. Um, they're used to ha carrying their own team. Why would they change now? And Cowhart said that he had a, a friend who was a doctor and said people only change when they're told they're going to die or they're going to go bankrupt. And neither one of these guys, is, that's what's happened to them. So I don't think Houston is going to do well. I would give them a B for this trade because I think just getting rid of Chris Paul was a good thing. And for Oklahoma City, what would you grade would you give them? Is there a grade for giving up? <laughs> you, you know, yeah. this could work. If the NBA allows you to have two basketballs on the court at the same time, this could work for Houston. <laughs> uh, Sam Presti, who is the GM for Oklahoma City, gets a pass. I don't know why. Because here's a guy who's traded away Westbrook, Harden, he's about to get rid of Stephen Adams. He he let KD leave. I mean, uh, uh, Obadik Obadiko for Indiana. Mm -hmm. He he traded him away. Sarbonis, who's not an All Star, but who's a pretty solid power forward for Indiana. This guy's traded away a lot of talent. Jeremy Lamb, who just signed a nice contract with Indiana. These are all guys he's traded away. And and all they've amassed is these – and this is a team – let's face it, Oklahoma City is a major disappointment. They got to one final. And this is a team that once and, – and I give a little bit of – you know, remember Harden and, and Westbrook played together for three years at Oklahoma City. Of course, now West, uh, Westbrook came off the bench on that team. But it had KD, Westbrook – had uh, uh, Katie Westbrook and Harden on the same team. I know. And they've never, ever done it. I mean, I guess this, this is Seattle's revenge. I was about to say, Be send them back to Seattle. Send them yeah, back Seattle, to Seattle. Seattle feels like, well, good, good. That's what, uh, not only that, uh, the, the, the kid who plays for Toronto, he had him and traded him away, the big power forward uh, whose name escapes me right now. Yeah. I mean, he's sent a lot of talent away. And, and, and again, it's, it's, it's a, this team has always been a winning team. 
And I kind of wonder what attendance is going to be like now that they have gotten rid of almost everybody over a period of time. And, and I just Serge Ibaka is who I'm thinking of. They had Serge Ibaka and traded him to to, uh, to Orlando. So, I mean, the amount of talent that Presti's got rid yeah. of, all he's got is draft picks. Unless you've got a draft pick, an unprotected draft pick that's in the top five, unless you're an astute uh, astute talent judge and you can get a, a Giannis or in the later rounds or you can get a Kawhi in the later rounds, these draft picks don't add up to a whole lot. I mean, I watched Summer League play and I watched <laughs> a lot of guys who so I thought, boy, he's going to be an average kid who scores 10 points a game. And Barrett for the Knicks did not impress me at all. And a lot of these guys who are coming in, I think draft picks are overrated. See, here's the NHL. I mean, the NBA d- capturing our attention once again. Here's off season, and you're watching summer basketball. And f- football is sort of taking the month of July off. I get it. But I think NBA is pretty smart right now. And you mentioned Kawhi. Uh, since our last podcast, uh, Kawhi silently, uh, slyly, whatever you want to say, announced he was going to the Clippers. And the big surprise was Paul George was going with him because Paul George wasn't a free agent. And the Clippers had to give up a lot to get him. And so who's the better mastermind in putting together a team, Kawhi or LeBron? Well, Kawhi did it on the sly. And I think, the, you know, in the previous podcast, I thought he'd go to the Clippers. So you the, did say that. But you yeah. said that as a Stephen A. Jackson. Oh, just yeah. take the other side. Well, you know, it's because he didn't like a lot of publicity. And during the recruitment process, all you could hear was Raptors were sending him on a cruise. Raptors were sending him on. The Lakers were going to make him a super team. And the one team that you heard absolutely nothing from was the, Sle- uh, the Clippers. And Steve Ballmer is the richest owner in the NBA. I mean, this guy's worth billions. Billions. And, and yet, yet they have to rent because the arena they play in belongs to the Lakers which I'm sure kind of galls them when they play. They see all those championship flags hanging up there <laughs> that are purple and gold in that respect. Uh, it, 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 these are two guys who are both injured. Now, Now again, they've had injury problems. George is coming off in shoulder injury. But defensively, that's, that's a pretty good front line. And, and it, this is going to be interesting. It would be fascinating if you get NBA Western Finals, L.A. versus L.A. I think LeBron is more motivated by uh, this is the last chance to get the gang together. I think Kawhi, because he only signed a two-year contract, so he put the onus on the Clipper management so, you know, to Doc Rivers and everybody there. Hey, you know, you got two years to get me to play another championship. If you don't bring me the surrounding talent, I can go across the parking lot and wear a gold and green, and I can re- replace LeBron in two years. Do you think it matters to Kawhi as much as it matters to LeBron? I never get the impression that Kawhi lives and dies for basketball as much as LeBron does or Chris Paul does or Harden does. He just seems like he's so good, but he does it on his terms. And what's his Re- injury, by the way? You said he's injured? Uh, he's Yeah, he's coming off. He had a little injury. I remember he had a... What was it a foot injury, shoulder injury, something during the playoffs mm. that I kept talking to, referring to? LeBron is looking to become LeBron Incorporated. Okay, he's doing Space Jam too. He's got all these production companies. He's got Barbershop on HBO. He has another program on Showtime. He's becoming a, a conglomerate. Okay, so LeBron is more selling his brand. Uh, Westbrook wants his shots. Harden wants his shots. If championships come in, all well and good in that respect. All you know about Leonard is what he does between the baskets. We don't know what he likes. We don't know what his hobbies are. We don't see any commercials. You don't see any branding. We don't even know what type of shoe he wears. He doesn't tweet. New he balance. doesn't Instagram. Well, see. His, I think basketball is more valuable to him than anything else. I think that's why he forced himself. And again, a championship washes away a lot of things because I keep having to remind people, this guy quit on the Spurs. But he saw a Spur team that was not going to compete for a championship. Yeah, maybe he saved himself. And I think that LeBron did that last year. I think he basically mailed it in because he'd been playing so many years 
so many playoffs. I think he needed a year off. And I really think LA's going to be better than most people think this year. I think they will go a long way toward... I think they'll be in the Western Final. I don't know if they'll make it to the championship, but I think they'll go a long way. I think they put together good pieces, and but it's the chemistry thing, right? Like, do they have enough chemistry? Do you have enough uh, players that want to play the role? And the last time we had a podcast, you predicted that Kyle Korver would end up on the Lakers. I haven't seen that yet, though. He's been waived by Memphis. I still think he'll wind up. There's a wild and crazed rumor about Chris Paul, but I think that's coming more from Chris Paul than anything else. <laughs> they picked up Danny Green. Um, they've got uh, Jared Dudley. And they're actually talking about LeBron being the point guard, bringing the ball up, which is not such a bad idea in that respect. They've got some pieces that fit in there. They don't have a true point guard, but I think they can they can pick up somebody. Rondo will be... For all practical reasons, he'll in the lineup will be the point guard, but you're going to see LeBron bring the ball up, just kind of like you saw Butler bring the ball up for Philadelphia in the playoffs. And now that's again the the movement. It's like we're almost starting over. It's almost like a redraft in that respect. Mm-hmm. And the Warriors are sitting there going, "Let's just get healthy." Right, right. And uh, I saw that Seth Curry put out there that he hopes that uh, KD Kevin Durant will refined himself or rediscover or some comment that made you think like he really was still lacking. There was something in his his psyche that he wanted to make a team his own and that even though he went to Golden State, he really never thought that was his team. Um, sometimes you wonder about these guys' egos that how many championships do you need to have or w- how far do you have to prove yourself? And KD always seems to have a chip on his shoulder. Can you think of other players in the past they had that sort of chip on the sh- shoulder, like they're always trying to prove they're better. I think they're guys who are not leaders. They're great players. They're all stars. They have championships, but if if they have to lead a team, they just don't have those qualities. Scotty Pippen's the first one that jumps. Kyrie in my Irving. <laughs> yeah, well, Kyrie is. I don't know if Kyrie knows what he wants. I think Kyrie came in, and he was given the Cleveland team, and they pretty much let him do what he will, and it's going to be fascinating because he's not gotten along with any coach he's ever coached with, ever been with. Who's that, Katie or, or Kyrie or now? Kyrie. Kyrie. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, who's the coach of the Nets, he's going to have an interesting job because there's <laughs> some pieces in place all there. And again, we don't know what when KD comes back, probably not going to be this year, what KD will be like when he comes back. And it's, it's you know, right now, Philadelphia is my favorite out of the East. Uh, closely followed by the Bucks. I think the Bucks will miss Malcolm Brogdon more than a lot of people. I think Indiana's a team that you're going to have to look out for. But the, these guys want validation sometimes. And, you know, they're great players who aren't leaders. Mm-hmm. They can score points. They can rebound. But when they, they can't rally the troops. Right. And it's not always something verbal. It's just the ability to take the last shot and be okay. Well, you know, Kobe was a leader, but Kobe missed more shots than he made. That's true. Well, the summer's here, and most people have said goodbye to the NBA, although this has been interesting, this drama playing out. And the only thing on TV these days is Wimbledon or golf, or if you're like Ernest, you can't wait for football. Football, you just love football. And so Ernest has been watching the Canadian Football League. So Ernest, in the spirit of Dan Patrick, who gives a one good minute for uh, soccer, I will give you three good minutes for Canadian football. Do you think you're ready? I'm ready. Three, Let's, two, one, go. Listen, those of you who miss football as much as I do, good gracious, I've watched every one of the Alliance of American Football <laughs> games. And I'm actually fascinated to see what XFL 2 will be like. I have watched Canadian football since 1970. That's when Joe Theismann, whose real name was Theismann, they changed his pronunciation so he would get the Heisman Trophy, was playing for the Toronto Argonauts. Canadian football is very different. It's a larger field. They have three downs instead of four. You can score what's called a rouge. If a kick goes in the end zone, it cannot be removed out. There are a limited American players there, but what you can pick up is a lot of young players. Vernon Adams, who played for Oklahoma, I mean for Oregon, excuse me, is the quarterback of the Montreal Alouettes. Two best, the three best teams right now are the Winnipeg Blue Jets, uh, Winnipeg, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 
the Calgary Stampeders, and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Mm-hmm. And it's not defensive football. They play with <laughs> 12 players instead of 11. They have motion to the front line, but it's interesting. If, if you enjoy offensive football, if you enjoy that you could be down two touchdowns with a minute to go and come back and win, it's fascinating football. There'll be players there that you may not recognize. There actually is a player that Paul and I covered in high school football, Michael Bowman, who played tight end for the Richmond Raiders here in Rockingham, North Carolina, who is a Hall of Fame defensive end for the Montreal Alouettes. He played for South Carolina State, played for arena football, and found his niche. They converted them to defensive line. Mm. It's fascinating football. Johnny Manziel flopped last year. So mm-hmm. this is good competitive football. Again, if you love football like I do, and arena football just ain't cutting it for you, give a chance to watch. ESPN does broadcast a few Canadian football games. Hold on, 1st of August, Hall of Fame game is coming. I think it's the Falcons and the Vikings. It's getting close to football season. Just stick with it a little bit. So get a chance. Give Canadian football a chance. You get used to the rules. You'll get used to the offensive players in motion forward all the time. I don't know. I, every time I watch it, it just is so distracting to see them all in motion. And it doesn't seem like it's very good defensive football. It always seems like they're winging it around, a lot of motion. Um, I have a hard time warming up to it. But I know you went to the NFL Hall of Fame in uh Canton, Canton right? Ohio. yes. About Canton, four Ohio. years ago. And if you went back there, what's the first exhibition that you'd go back and see again? Oh, my. Well, the uh, rotunda uh, starts. I would highly advise and give yourself three hours to go. The rotunda is the best because you start at the bottom and it starts from the beginning of football. And it has this oval football from the first football game, professional game which they think was played there in Canton, Ohio. Of course, football goes back to uh, Rutgers University, and this is the 150th anniversary of college football. You'll see it on all the uniforms. This is also the 100th anniversary of the NFL this year also. You'll see that, a patch on all the uniforms. But the rotunda starts, and it works its way up, and you see memorabilia uniforms. You see Tom Dempsey's half a foot which he kicked the Wait six a second. They, they show his half a foot, really? Not the, the shoe. shoe. The shoe. That I was to say, wow, this he is had pretty gruesome. Well, yeah, they got it entombed. <laughs> Tom Dempsey left us this year, so it would be entombed. <laughs> but they have, again, you work up to the rotunda, and, and then you go in, and they have a sense around, day of the game type of theater approach, and you have memorabilia from, uh, you have the helmet, David Tyree from the Super Bowl. Did you have stick the, him on it? Uh, it doesn't look like it looks like it's okay. You have the piece of turf with Franco Harris with the immaculate reception mm. that if you're a Raiders fan bounced off the ground, which is an illegal t- catch. Uh, they have that part of three rivers stadium. Uh, they have exhibits on Canadian football. They have exhibits on the world football really? league, USFL. Oh yes. They have, again, it's, it's, and then you have the bust room, you know, John Madden used to talk about at night, that the busts all talk to each other, which is hilarious to think about. And it's just, it's the one place where you go where people are completely, it's like a chapel. People are very, very quiet in there. Because it looks but like it, everybody's looking at them, right? That's, that's it. They're all facing forward and everything. And mm. it's, it's, it's well worth your time. If you're going up I-85 towards Cleveland, take a chance, stop off, spend your time. Then you can walk over to where they play the Hall of Fame game which is Tom uh, uh, Tom Meekum Stadium now. They named it after the former owner of the uh, Saints. Mm. It's it's well worth it. Uh, I haven't been to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I've been to the Golf Hall of Fame. I've been to the Pro Football, the college, the two College Football Hall of Fames, and the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. But I like the NFL. Now, the two College Football, one in Macon, Georgia, and one in Atlanta, Georgia? Or what are you talking one, about? Well, they moved. I saw originally the first one was in uh, Notre Dame, ah. uh, which is South Bend. Right. And it was downtown in that outdoor field, and it was uh, it was more memorabilia. It had all the trophies and everything. Now it's in Atlanta, and it's more interactive. You can, you can film your own little game day spot, 
with uh, all the guys from the NFL, from ESPN's mm-hmm. game day. And there's a giant wall of every helmet of every team that plays Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, One AA, and NAIA football. So and you can highlight that, and there are the, the uh, rather than the the helmet, the face, the bust that you have the NFL Hall of Fame, they have interactive screens. So you pull up, like if you want to bring up uh, Alonzo Stag, or you want to bring up Jim Thorpe, or Bear Bryant, mm. or Bobby, you know, anybody you bring up that has their little bio and all that, and then they have interactive field. Where you can kick a field goal. It's it's nice. more in tune to uh, an interactive type of thing than the old one was before they moved. Did you it. go there by yourself, or did you go with some family members? Uh, the one in South uh, Ben, I went with my brother-in-law. The one in Atlanta, I went by myself. Okay. And and that way you can spend as much time as you can. <laughs> in you don't mind being there by yourself. So what you're saying? No, it's still no, fun. no. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, I like I said, the one I'd like to. Uh, Hit up uh, is, uh, of course, I'd like to go to Cooperstown at some time. You need to go uh, to the I, basketball one, too. Oh, I enjoyed the basketball. I did my pilgrimage when I went to Springfield. Mm-hmm. Is I actually went to where the original basketball court, the Dr. James Naismith, mm. put up the uh, peach, peach baskets. Now it's a parking lot of a strip mall. But there's a little plaque there because the college, Springfield College, it was then Springfield College for the YMCA at that time had moved. And it's about two miles away from the, and it's very interactive also. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have the plaques. It's three stories high. And, of course, it has the NBA uh, trophy there, the Lawrence O'Brien trophy. And it has the uh, NCAA plaques also. But it was right. it was interactive as a little thing where you can shoot baskets. But it was it was nice. I, I got more on that sacred ground of the parking lot where the original basketball because because with the other sports we don't have an origin. Tear it down, they will come. Tear yeah, it down, baseball, they will come. That's it. It's still sacred ground because you know baseball derived itself from a English game called rounders. Football is a derivative of rugby. Uh, golf dates back to Scotland. When they would, Scotland, and they would hit little animal he- uh, skulls around that. <laughs> no. so we, we don't have an uh, actual site of origin for the other sports, and that's that's one. Tennis goes back to uh, France, the I French, yeah. yeah, French in the 13th century. And they would play it in the courtyards, and and, and actually and the cross goes back to the Native Americans. Native Americans, and they would actually use the skulls of uh, the the tribes they had defeated instead of the ball. So mm-hmm. a lot of it derives. It's interesting in the College Football Hall of Fame that was in in South Bend. They had one of the actual skulls, uh, skulls which were used oh, in man. Europe. That wow. was the version of the game in Russia where you would advance the skull past a location and you would win the game. It was more of a rugby type of thing. But in the original rugbies were uh, animal bladders. They were cow bladders, which would be stuffed and sewn together. Mm. So that's, that's the beauty of basketball. These other sports are evolutionary to a point. Basketball, we can go. Dr. Naismith wrote down the, the 17 rules. And there actually is, they showed you a copy of that at the Hall of Fame and played the first game there. And it was a lot different. But the first ball didn't bounce. It was like a medicine ball and they were just throwing it in a peach basket. But, you know, evolution happens in all the sports. And I did go to Springfield as well and had a lot of fun walking around and enjoying that and shooting hoops there and hoping we'd see somebody famous, which we did not. But um, you remember how Pete Rose used to go to Cooperstown and set up like across the street and sign autographs and stuff. You don't hear sell, much of, sell his autographs. Yes, yeah, sell, always autograph. sell. You don't hear about him going back there anymore. And I think he maybe has given up on the phone call from Manfred at this point. Do you think he'll ever get in? No, I don't think he'll ever get. Well, maybe after he dies. I hate to say it that way, but um, anyways, let's move on to a sport that actually happened today. Uh, Wimbledon used to be something that I would pay attention to um, during the summer of every year because I'd be off from school and uh, NBC used to show it on live and you have Dick Enberg and 
Chrissy Everett, yeah. and but before Chrissy Everett, there was Margaret Court, and there was other people, Billie Jean King. Um, and we'd watch it, and it was interesting, you know, breakfast at Wimbledon, and they used to use just the white tennis balls, and then now, oh, it was a big deal when they moved to the yellow tennis balls. But today, um, Federer lost to Djokovic, in which was a five-set match over almost five hours long, and it could have been longer, but they just switched the last set rule that there would be a tiebreaker versus keep on going until somebody had a two-game uh, edge for a set. And still, it was a long, long match. I'm amazed that Federer continues to stay in good health. I don't know what he's drinking. Maybe same thing as Tommy Brady. But uh, did you watch any of that Wimbledon today? Yeah, I watched most of it. I mean, I'm just fast. Federer and Nadal and Djokovic, I don't think in any sport we'll ever see three guys who clean reputations that dominate the sport for this period of time. And you know, remember, there was a time when we used to compare Tiger Woods and Federer as, right. as the oh, yeah. icons yeah. of their sport. Yeah, and and you know, Tiger's gone and come back since then. Federer is always, again, he's just, and he, unlike you know, Nadal has always now he's won all four of the majors, but his dominance over Clay because he has thirteen championships at the French Open, which are the most of all time. Uh, you know, he's been more of that dominant but Federer has lasted and you know Djokovic is the youngest he's 32 uh Federer will turn 37 this year and Nadal I believe is 35 but again when you talk about you know no uh, Djokovic leads Federer head-to-head 26 to 22 he's he's leads Nadal 28 matches to 26 I mean we've just about could put Djokovic is going to eventually pass Federer. And that's just mind-boggling because I remember when Pete Sampras dominated. We don't even talk about Pete Sampras anymore. Right. These three have gone above. And the length of it used to be when you got 25, you were old as a tennis player. I mean, McEnroe was done by 30. Uh, Connors won one championship. I think he won the U.S. Open when he was over 30. The athleticism. And, and the reason they changed the rules this year was last year was a match uh, with John Isner that lasted two days. <laughs> That's crazy. And I, I kind of almost wish they hadn't changed it because it was so close at the end, going back and forth. And yes, I missed John. I, I missed Enberg doing the game. Oh, Inberg my. Was, oh, my. I mean, he's just, he just. He was the one who, who had the phrase breakfast at Wimbledon, and you, people use it today. But Djokovic, is, again, he's shown that he can, he can beat any of the two, and except, you know, Clay has problems with Nadal, but any of the surfaces. And did I see a drop-off in Federer? No. He had one bad return. He lost serve on the, 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 the 12th uh of the tiebreaker. He lost the return and he had one bad return. He had two game matches, two match points that he could have won on mm-hmm. very easily. And they kept going to, and again, I find fascinating. The one sport that replay works is tennis. And I love how they do the, the clapping, you know, where they wait right. for it. Yeah. They get it done in five, less than 30 seconds. And there was a He won almost every, uh, replay uh, uh, Federer did but the way these guys cover themselves professionally and the way they come out and play almost every match in every open they don't bypass things they play the Miami Opens they play the ones in, in all over the country and they're just class acts right. each one of them we'll say never they've... ever see three guys dominate a sport like this Ever again. I would say that you could make an argument that tennis players have outclassed golfers now, <laughs> which leads to another story that was in the news this week. Uh, John Daly was upset because the British Open would not give him a cart so that he could smoke and drink while he went around the course <laughs> and played in the Open. Um, <laughs> he's still going to go. I, I thought he found out there's no Hooters in England. Oh, That's why he's not oh, going. Oh. 
the, uh, maybe it's called a different name, but uh, I remember he got the exception. I mean, it was the PGA to do that. And I, I remember seeing highlights of or lowlights of him driving around, smoking a cigar, drinking something heavy in his wild pants. I don't blame him for being him, but at what point do you accommodate? I remember there was a guy named Casey, I think it was Mize, who actually had a real physical limitation with his legs. And he sued the PGA, and they gave him special exemption. And he did it for about a year, then he gave up on it. But um, he had a legitimate medical reason. Uh, John Daly just is a bum, um, but he's a likable bum, and that's why everybody wants to see him. And he does bring in the fans because they see somebody they can relate to as they're playing golf. Well, Have you ever heard a guy who won one major that I keep making excuses for and exceptions no, for? No, he made two. He won two. He won the British Open, too, by f- unbelievable okay. but, circumstance. But the, again, that's... How many years ago was that, Paul? 20 years I'm, ago? You know what? He still gets paid by these golf tournaments just to show up. Most of these golfers get appearance fees still, or they wouldn't go show up at all the tournaments. Uh, we had a tournament, a new one here... Um, uh, here in Detroit, and the top golfer showed up, but it was amazing how many didn't make the cut. And I'm thinking, this is pretty suspicious, you know, that these top golfers can't even make the cut. And I think they basically wanted to come for two days, get their paycheck, and, and move on to the next thing. But that's my cynical three minutes of the show tonight. Let's move on to something different. Ernest loves a good movie. In summertime, folks, there's not football right now, so why not see a good movie. And so, Ernest, I have in front of me the box office um, for this weekend. Um, well, as of, you know, this a few minutes ago, it came up from, I don't know if you can trust it, box office mojo. <laughs> so you can probably guess Spider-Man Far From Home is number one. You want to guess how much it is grossed today? I mean, this weekend? I'd say it's, you know, with Endgame finally uh, went up past Avatar worldwide because of China. So mm-hmm. I would say 140 million. No, it says it's only grossed 45 million, but its total grossed is 275 million so far. And okay. they claim the budget was 160 million. So you don't have to be a mathematician to see that they make tons of money on this. Number two was Toy Story with 20 million. It was down from last week quite a bit, and so far it's grossed $346 million. But that doesn't even touch all the uh, toys they're selling. And somehow these geniuses at Toy Story takes a plastic fork and make it into one of the most desirable toys that you can buy at the toy at the toy store. So That you could make on your own. Yes. All you need is the googly eyes. Some uh, pipe cleaners and a fork, and you have one. But it proves the point that if you have a really good plot and really good writing and good music, um, you can do even a fork and make it into a star. I have not seen Toy Story yet. I know you have seen Spider-Man Far From Home. I got the feeling so far when I watched all the previews of Spider-Man Far From Home that I pretty much know the movie before even going to see it. I know the background story behind Mysterio. I know the sense of him trying to live up to the, you know, Tony Stark is gone. Will he take the mantle? Tell me, Ernest, without spoiling the movie, why is it worth it for me to go see Spider-Man Far From Home? Uh, okay, without spoiling. Boy, don't put any handcuffs on me. <laughs> well, uh, what did you enjoy? Don't You don't have to tell me details. I This was a fun, funny movie, more or less on the terms of the Ant-Man movies. Really? Yeah, it was more of a play for, for, for comedy in that respect. Uh, I mean, anybody who knows anything about the Spider-Man legacy knows about Mysterio. Okay, I'll just put it at that. I mean, my grandson played the video game. He's nine years old. He knew that going into the movie. Right. So that's not a big shock. I do like how uh, they did address quite a bit in, in the gap, the five-year gap which happens in Endgame, the period of time when people disappear mm-hmm. and reappear five years later. They call it the blip. And it is thoroughly part of this movie, how society adjusts to this period when 
people disappeared for five years and then returned. Aunt May returns. People were living in her apartment when she comes back. And the wife thought she was the husband's uh, mistress, and the husband thought that she was the wife's mistress. So <laughs> when you think about the, the – he gets down to the details of how that gap, which was kind of glossed over in Endgame. And if you haven't seen Endgame, I'm sorry. You've had enough time. <laughs> really? Spoilers, okay? It, it addresses how that it changes people on a personal level and how it even addressed uh, – the, the members of, of Peter's school class in that respect. Right. But it, it talks about the adjustment of the world afterwards. So I think more than anything else, of course, there is the point of Iron Man being gone, if he is truly gone. Uh, it does address how society lived with this major catastrophe and how it just picks up picks up the pieces afterwards. So on one hand, you're saying it's funny, it's good, but on the other hand, it's some heavy themes, which I think Marvel has learned that people want the whole package in a movie. They don't want to just see explosions and things like that. They want to see something happen that's pretty cool. Um, I'm looking down the list of movies here, and... I'll tell you about some bombs that have happened. I, Aladdin came out, and it's bombing. It's not doing so well. And I say that, it's already down at five, but they claim the total gross has been $331 million, even though they say it's bombed. So even you take a movie that supposedly bombs, if there's nothing else out there, they're going to go like crazy. Now, a movie I saw, Men in Black International, with Chris Helmsworth, and I thought was very good, very funny, has only total gross of 76 million and it supposedly took 110 million to make and so that may be the end of the men in black uh franchise series i think they were trying to reboot it another one that sort of bombed is rocket man the um elton john elton john story which cost uh only 40 million to make because it wasn't high tech but it's only made 91 million and it's been out for seven weeks so that hasn't done so well uh, John Wick number three has not done as well as the previous ones. Has that run its place? So, what do you think about those movies that haven't done as well as people anticipated them? Okay, let's go in reverse order. John Wick was an R-rated movie. R-rated movies difficultly have because you're pretty much eliminating your your young audience. So, uh, critical reaction was pretty good, but again, I thought timing was a little off. And again, I, I kind of wonder if that, and I enjoy them. I enjoy all the John Wick movies. I just kind of wonder if it's not kind of explored as much as it can with it in that respect. Uh, Rocket Man was the same director who did Bohemian Rhapsody. And whereas Bohemian Rhapsody kind of hinted to an alternative lifestyle, Rocket Man was pretty open and Let's face it, Elton John had alcoholic and drug problems. So this wasn't a story of redemption. Mm. This was a guy who just basically one day he was either going to OD or change his lifestyle. He, he's not a likable guy. Music's likable, mm -hmm. joyous music, but he's, it's hard to do a biopic movie about someone who inherently is not likable. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Now, whereas Freddie Mercury, you know, and there's a period of time there. Freddie Mercury has been dead for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So when that passes, and when people are no longer here, we tend to uh, we tend to put them up on a pedestal. Elton John's here in our face, pretty much. And again, not a very likable guy. And I think that kind of trans was one of the reasons why. Men in Black International. They tried to build on the chemistry with Tess Thompson and Chris Hemsworth from uh, Thor Ragnarok. And I, I don't know if they're, she's not as well known in the public as he is. Right. I thought this was an audition for Chris Hemsworth to be the next James Bond. Yeah. And I think that one of the cost was they did a lot of on-site filming in the Middle East you know, all over the place, and it kind of telegraphs the villain real early. In the movie. <laughs> yes. And remember, the last Men in Black movie was 15 years ago. Right. So that's kind of hard to 
bring that audience back in 15 years later in that respect. I think if they had done a cameo with Will Smith and, and, and uh, maybe that might have helped a little bit, kind of a handoff in that location. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened with Independence Day Resurgence. They killed off Will Smith and they didn't have him in the sequel. And I think that kind of made people uh, a little antsy in that respect. I think more of the old characters. And unfortunately, uh, we lost one of the major characters of Men in Black, Rip Torn, this week. Mm -hmm. And he, he was in the first two and, and was the boss and was a major part of those shows. But I think, I think the age now Aladdin. And I know that Lion King will come out this week and people will rush to the box office. You know, this is millennials nostalgia. Again, I, it's, it's kind of hard for human beings to be able to do the same things you see in animation. I mean, the expression of, of Jeremy Irons was a great scar in the Lion King movie. The expressions on, right. on his face, the secret malice that you could see. But see, that leads and, to my concern about the whole digitalized CGI. I think the original Lion King was great, but it's going to be incredibly violent if they are true to the story. And it's going to look so real that I think some of these kids are going to freak out if, I mean, I'm sure they've done test studies and stuff, but when, uh, when the king dies, when the hyenas come, um, there are some very violent uh, scenes in that. And also the humor of the wedge hog or whatever, warthog and the little, um, I forget Seth what Seth Rogen. Yeah. Seth Rogen. I don't know if that's going to work as well when it looks live action versus um, cartoons. There's something about cartoons that suspends reality a little bit. You just sort of relax through it and enjoy it. Uh, I think this may seem a little too intense for young kids. Do you agree with that? I, I don't know why you wouldn't just pull out the DVD and show them the animated version. I know. I, know. I, mean, it's like, I mean, it's it's this cheap idea that that i guess we'll see a live action bambi next i mean i just <laughs> wow. are we this whole summer has been are we devoid of ideas i mean really is there's nothing original that's coming out there's nothing that's make you sit up and go well this is interesting i might you know there, there's a movie out that i think did not do well this week called crawl uh, about people trapped in a house it was next to number alligator. three yeah i mean that intrigues me it's something different in that respect i mean uh, i went to see uh another movie that you forgot on your flop list was uh dark phoenix x-men yeah dark which, phoenix has only made 65 million dollars and it's been out six weeks dumbo has done better than dark phoenix and that's amazing considering it's a you know marvel universe film and another remake of a cartoon that flopped was Dumbo. Well, X-Men was pushed out because people are losing rights between studios. That's, that's the whole reason for that, because that was filmed almost two years ago. And it was almost like, and it's actually a remake. Right. We're going to go full nerd on you, aren't you? It's, it's yes. a remake of X-Men 3. Yes, I remember that. And it's it's handled a little differently, and it's it, it's... I mean, it was okay, but it was seemed rushed. Which and they one actually, would you rather see, Dark Phoenix or the Spider-Man Far From Home? Uh, Far From Home. That's Far From Home was, was well done. And stay for the uh, the scenes because there are, there are two scenes. Uh, and how shall I say this safely? They, they changed <laughs> the whole direction of the Marvel Universe. They t Wait a second. You're going to yeah. drop that big of a clue? Like they're going to change everything? Like yeah, they go does. back in time yeah. that Captain America's going to change everything? No, it's not time. It just changes the whole direction of the future. So I will tell you setting that. setting up a new villain? Uh, there is a villain which comes back from the original Spider-Man movie. Mm. The, the original, original? I mean, yes, the uh, Tobey Maguire. Wow, Green Goblin? Uh, they see, you want to pull this out of me. We <laughs> well, have today listeners. in Paris, they showed this guy on this hovercraft board. And as soon as we saw it, my wife and said, that looks like that guy from Spider-Man, that villain that flew around in the little wing area. And we were saying Green Goblin. Yeah. So 
Yeah, they're gonna pull James Franco out of retirement and get him back in the movie. Do you, do you, are we gonna go on spoiler alert here? No. Oh, go ahead, do spoiler alert. Go ahead. All right, okay, folks. Here we're gonna spoiler give you spoiler alert. from next, Far From Home credit. Next five minutes. Here are the two spoilers in the credit. One is J.J. Jameson, who the original actor who played him comes back, and now he's an Alex Jones type of uh, podcaster, uh-huh. and he tells everybody over the air who, uh, who Spider-Man, Spider-Man is. is. Yes, he, he gives out his his uh, uh, gives out his name to everybody, and J.K. Simmons J.K. Simmons comes back. Dum dum. Ah, uh, spoiler, I was doing an insurance commercial. Dun, he comes dun, back. Dun, 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 and then you find out Nick Fury is not Nick Fury through the entire movie. He is one of the scrolls. What? Yes. Maria Hill is a scroll. Ooh. Now, see, uh, okay, now. Turn your volume back. We have done the spoilers. <laughs> but they can't tell if to turn it back up if they've been. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Okay. Sure, when you go back, give them a timestamp. Okay. You, when you go back and edit this, give them a timestamp. Well, folks, we did it again. We started talking sports. We end talking about movies because we like a good summer mix. We don't grieve too much that football's not on. We go out and have fun in different ways. And I hope you are too. And uh, we'll do another podcast later this week. Hopefully they'll have some more co-hosts joining us and some more drama from sports. So, Ernest, any last words for tonight? Uh, everybody be safe. It's summertime. I know, kids, you're counting up how many days you got left. Enjoy summer. I think uh, Paul and I think about our summers of youth and, and kids now. They tend to spend more time inside. Uh, get outside, follow a butterfly, go in the woods, connect <laughs> with nature. You know, wow. not everything is air conditioned. I'm doing grumpy old man here. You okay? are. I was going to say, go out, kids, and go get that Slurpee and eat that Hostess fruit pie while you still can. Because you can't right, get, that, get that Cheetos KFC chicken sandwich they have. That looks like something that will clot up your arteries when right. you get our age. Yeah, so. or eat cotton candy. Is there any food that you wish you could still eat? I mean, it's like to me, like, oh, the Hostess fruit pie. It's like 30 grams of saturated fat and like 1,000 calories, and I can't do the that anymore. Dolly Madison Snowballs, Ooh-hoo-hoo. which were the, which was this cake with the cream in the middle and a coconut, and it was raspberry topped, and you get two of them in a package from the day-old bread store, <laughs> and and that was, it. I think the one thing kids today... And chase it down a, with the RC Cola or something. Tar- yeah, yeah, kids have more access to, to sweets, because when we were kids, you had a Hershey bar and a Snickers, that was it. And, and the variations today are just so wild and everything, and again, people were more worried about it, but have the sugar way. Sugar does not make kids uh, hyper, folks. There is no bio. There is no research. So let your <laughs> kids have some sweets sometime. All right. Sugar's Spoken okay. Like it's a true natural. grandpa who wants to spoil his kids. That's, all right. That's right. Sugar's natural. It's from the earth. <laughs> Time to wrap it up, folks. You can listen to us on GreatAmericanMan.org and or on SportsCountry.net at five o'clock in the afternoons. And you can also listen to the other Great American Man podcast family there's man to man there's trumbull dads there's boys of summer so we got a lot of things going on and hope you listen to our podcast and so for ernest watts this is paul arnold saying good night